I'm sure you've heard of road rage. Have you heard of sidewalk rage? Now, before you roll your eyes, oh goodness, another syndrome. Just think of the last time you were in the grocery store or a shopping mall or walking to the airport and you wanted to get somewhere and someone is in front of you and they're just walking slow. Maybe they're on their phone, not quite as fast as you are. Be honest. Did you think, man, they're really at peace. I wish I was at peace like them. <laughs> Did you think, must be nice to be so chill and not really worried about anything? I suspect not. I suspect you, like me, are frustrated. Don't they know I've got some place to go? In my research for this sermon series on waiting, I discovered that there's something that a psychologist developed called the pedestrian aggressiveness syndrome scale. <laughs> it gauges a person's aggressiveness by behaviors like these. So you're aggressive and here's what you do when you're guilty of sidewalk rage. Walking by a slower moving pedestrian and then cutting back in front of them too soon to make a point. Not apologizing when it would be socially normal after you've bumped into someone in an attempt to pass them by. Acting in a hostile manner like staring at them or presenting a mean face or moving faster or maybe even slowing down after they walked. Or not yielding on your line when it's the polite thing to do. Now, surely no Christian's ever been guilty of this kind of behavior before and I trust that you won't succumb to sidewalk rage. But it is interesting to think about. This low-grade frustration because of something or someone moving slower than what you expected. Just think of the last time that it happened. Somewhere in your head, you made a determination about how fast someone should be moving. Like you decided. They're moving not just slow, they're moving too slow. And then based upon that evaluation, it's very natural to allow our expectations to begin to control us emotionally and then even physically. And one of the reasons that we struggle with waiting is because of how we approach time. How we approach our expectation of time. And we may not even realize what's going on with how we think about time. So through the month of December, we're trying to unpack this theme of waiting. We're walking through various texts expositionally, looking at this idea of waiting. And we're learning, I hope that you are along with me, that the Bible has a lot to say about waiting. The first week, we learned about the concept of truth, that I need to consider what I know about God when I don't know what I know about my life. Remember, you can't buy manna in bulk. Second week was the word trust. That we need to choose to worship while we wait. That we need to focus, adore, seek, so that then we can trust. And to be careful that we don't miss the sunrise with everything else that we're concerned about. For some reason, that closing illustration was a little sticky with a number of us this week. I got a little message from a mom 
who wrote this. So yesterday was a pretty big morning at our house with several things to do as we closed out the semester and the kids and I, as we were going to school, were running late. And I was lamenting the not quite all the way baked egg casserole for our breakfast at school that day and the craziness of a few other things. And then my 14-year-old piped up from the passenger seat, mom, don't miss the sunrise because of the cinnamon rolls. That'll preach. And then my 10-year-old said, yep, I was just thinking that. Mm." His mom writes, conviction activation. That's a good thing. Eyes turned. She wrote, thanks for an application that was so practical that even the younger ears easily grabbed a hold of it. So kids, listen to me for a moment. Carefully, wisely, respectfully, it's good to remind your parents about what they heard on Sundays. (laughs) Carefully, wisely, respectfully, just to say, hey mom, dad, don't forget about the sunrise. It's another one of the values, parents, by the way, of having your kids at a service, that they can actually help you be godly. Not a bad thing. So today we're looking at the issue of time. And church, waiting always involves time. And the goal of my sermon today is not just to help you think biblically about time when you have to wait. I actually want to push it forward and have you see that the time that you spend waiting on the Lord is something that you actually choose to do. So instead of tolerating waiting or just valuing waiting, here's what I'm hoping to do in the sermon today, is to actually have you choose and want to and plan to wait. So like from a grocery store standpoint, that you're not only trying to avoid slow people, but you actually walk in an appropriately socially distant space behind a slow person and celebrate that you get to walk slowly. That seems weird. And yet, I think we're missing something if we don't think this way about waiting. So we're gonna be in James chapter five, and for those of you who've been around at our church this year, you may remember that in May of this year, I actually preached this text, and so I'm gonna go back to it. Some of the exposition is exactly the same, and I'm going to err more on the side of application than I am on um, exegesis. And the reason I'm going back to the same text that we used in May is, well, one, I don't assume that you remember what I said in May. Um, But the second thing is, I find no better text in the scriptures than this one about the issue of time. And so here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna look at three truths, and they may be familiar from our study in, in May, and then two applications. Three truths, and then two applications. So, the whole theme of James, if you'll remember from our journey last in this, in this year, was centered around this text. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." So James is writing to a group of Christians who are struggling with hardship that's coming their way, and he wants to change how they see their trials. Or as I argued in that sermon series, this right now, it's a great time to be a Christian if we'll act like Christians. 
It's a great time to be a Christian if we'll act like Christians. And in James chapter five, he's drawing his argument to a close. And after talking about hardship that these Christians were dealing with, he exhorts them about the matter of patience and waiting. First, here's what he says. We learn here that waiting is commanded. Look at verse seven. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient. Be patient. So the first thing to note here is that waiting is not just something that happens to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're commanded to be patient. It's not just like, hey, try to be patient. It's brother, sister, follower of Jesus, be patient. Why is that? If you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, you might wonder, why does the Bible command patience? Well, the the reason is that the whole vision of what it means to be a Christian is to live by a different perspective, meaning that understanding who God is and understanding who I am gives me a new identity, a whole way that I see the world. So at our church here, we often talk about the gospel in these four phrases, God is holy, I'm not, Jesus saves, and Christ is my life. So what that means is that that reality of knowing that my sins have been forgiven, that God is in control of my life, that my greatest need, namely the condemnation that I would receive for my own bad behavior has been removed from me because of Jesus' work, that now I stand before him and the thing over my life is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the argument from scripture is if that's true, that changes how you see everything. If you know that God's in control of your life and if you know that you're deeply loved, then you can rest. You don't have to be living on performance mindset, trying to make your way in order to grab a hold of your identity so you are somebody or grab a hold of the next little side hustle thing so you can do what you want to do. Instead, you can rest knowing that God's got me. My whole future's in his hands. And as a result, I can rest. We can ask ourselves, what do I know about God when I don't know what I don't know about my life? The challenge is that when we fail to think this way, it's easy to become irritated and anxious and angry and hopeless. That's why waiting can be a place where it's easy to justify our sinful responses. And here's how it goes. We have an expectation of how something is going to happen. We have expectations for how long something is going to take. We have expectations of how much information we need in order to feel like we have control over our lives. And James here commands us to be patient in that environment. That word means long-suffering. I like that combination of words because it gets to the issues related to our expectations. For instance, when somebody thanks you for being patient, you know what they're saying? They're expressing gratitude to you that you were willing to wait longer than what you would have expected or you were willing to wait longer than what other people have expected. So patience and long suffering by definition has a time factor built into it. And if we're honest, patience and waiting isn't flourishing in our present society. We are conditioned to think that we're valuable if we don't have to wait. And we have expectations of things being shorter in duration 
probably than any generation in the history of mankind. Chelsea Ward, in an article about why your brain hates slow pokes, <laughs> she writes this, the fast pace of society has thrown our internal timer out of balance. It creates expectations that can't be rewarded fast enough or rewarded at all. When things move more slowly than we expect, our internal timer even plays tricks on us, stretching out the way, summoning anger out of proportion to the delay. It's that feeling when you see that little spinny thing on your computer, and you've had that happen before, and you see it, and you're like, oh, it's a trigger. Additionally, she writes that stress doesn't help us flourish. You might wonder, why do I feel less patient these days? Well, part of it's because of the stress of the last two years. She writes, time warps because our experiences are so intense. Every moment we are under threat seems new and vivid, and that psychological survival mechanism amplifies our awareness and packs more memories than usual into a short time interval. Our brains are tricked into thinking more time has passed than actually has. So you're waiting, you're frustrated, and then it takes even longer, and the level of frustration you feel for the extra five minutes often exceeds what it was for the previous 15. Some of you, I'm like, you think I'm reading your mail, I'm not. <laughs> Welcome to humanity. And as a result, it becomes a vicious cycle. You expect things to happen quickly. When they don't, you become frustrated. When you get angry, it seems like everything takes longer after that. So what's a follower of Jesus supposed to do? Believers in Jesus are called to approach time differently. Long suffering is an act of war against my self-sufficiency. So we have an expectation, and listen, one of the ways that our self-sufficiency shows up with our expectations about how long something is going to take. And some of us experience intense levels of self-centeredness when we don't get what we want or when we're called by God to wait. And it may be that God is actually designing waiting in your life because he has something more important in mind than you getting what you want. He actually wants you. It's commanded. Here's the second thing. Waiting is normal. Part of the problem with waiting is that we see waiting as abnormal. And this isn't getting any easier. We have, I mean, think of all the things we, had now, we have now. We have call-ahead seating, online ordering of groceries, prime delivery, even callbacks. You don't even have to wait on a phone anymore. You, they, they call you back when you're next in line. I mean, the poor people who used to create waiting music, like they're out of business, right? <laughs> like that gig is gone, right? Again, here's another article by a woman named Melissa, I think it's Fezidin. She says this, research indicates that we are now, ex we expect everything faster. For example, not only do people in different cities and cultures walk at different speeds, but since the 1990s, walkies are, walk walkers around the world have picked up their pace by 10%. Not long ago, we were happy with a four-second uh, load time for web pages, but now waiting longer than a second for a web page seems intolerable. And I was like, yeah, that's true. And I looked at when she wrote the article. Yeah, it was 2015. It's even worse. 
And yet James offers this exhortation, this illustration. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. So again, to be a farmer means that you work hard, you do a lot of things, but then you have to wait. There's a lot of work to do when you're a farmer, but then there's so much that you can't control. Waiting is an essential part of his job description, and if the farmer, if the farmer doesn't embrace waiting, he should probably find a new profession. So why does James use this illustration? He does so in order to remind his readers that waiting is a normal part of the Christian experience. Listen, waiting is part of the equation of our humanity. But the problem is, is that it reminds us that we're not in control of everything that we don't know everything, that we can't fix everything, and waiting confronts our, self, our sense of autonomy and entitlement. And yet it would seem, if we take a step back, that the one group of people in all of humanity who ought to be the most peaceful, the most patient, and who ought to be really good at waiting are the ones who know that they are waiting for the coming of the Lord. And that's why I'm trying to help you not to waste your waiting So waiting is normal, waiting is commanded. Here's third, waiting is a choice. James says this, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So again, being the kind of person who's forced to wait confronts you with the fact that you're not in control. It means that you feel tension and disappointment and frustration and yet James says, establish your heart. What does that mean? That means to return to what you know, rehearse what you believe. In fact, the word establish is the Greek word to set firmly in place, to prop something up, to, to set something up. Think of it like dropping an anchor or sort of freezing the moment, remembering who you are, remembering who God is. It's like keeping your spiritual moorings in place. Establish your heart. It means that you're busy when you're waiting, but you're busy in the right way. You're busy reminding your heart what you know to be true about God instead of panicking about what you don't know. And for some of us, this could be incredibly liberating. This has been liberating for me because we think that waiting is passive. Waiting isn't passive. What if you could take the moments when God invites you to wait and see it as in this moment, I'm going to choose to establish my heart. I'm not gonna waste this moment. I don't wanna be here, I don't like this, but I'm here, so let's use this time that God has put us in. What if we embraced waiting? What if we even... What if we even chose to wait? Let's explore that in two ways. How do we think about using our wait time? Hopefully you're starting to think differently about this subject of waiting. And I wanna give you two very practical applications. According to an author named Bradley Borain, in his book on waiting well, he suggests that we need to think about waiting in two categories. Waiting for the Lord and waiting on the Lord. So waiting 
before the Lord, and as he defines it, that's the idea of I'm in a spot where I'm uncomfortable because of what I don't know, and I've sort of been providentially placed in this moment when I need to wait for the Lord to answer me. So I'm waiting for the Lord, waiting for something to arrive, waiting for an answer to come. But he suggests that we also ought to think of what it means to wait on the Lord. The idea is to intentionally bake waiting into the equation of our lives. Instead of seeing waiting as something that happens to us, that we see our lives as something that waiting needs to be used as a stewardship because it's so incredibly valuable. So here's the crazy transformation of rather than seeing waiting as something that has to be endured, now you actually see waiting as something that should be embraced. Rather than seeing waiting as something that has to be tolerated, now you see waiting as something that actually should be scheduled. So all waiting involves the use of time. Let me suggest to you two ways that you could think about waiting and time. Number one, to wait the right way. So wait the right way. So, so much of this series, I've, I've tried to make the case of changing how you think about waiting, to see it from a negative thing to a positive thing, to see the spiritual value of it. And my assumption is, is that we all sort of have a negative natural bias against waiting. And so what could you do? How do you wait the right way? Well, first is just by identifying that waiting is often an issue of control. And there's a battle going on within your soul between your will and God's will, and it awful sh often shows up in time as you're waiting. And for you just to realize, I'm not just waiting, I'm battling. I'm not just waiting, I'm actually struggling. What I want is not just an answer, what I want is not just to have this be concluded, what I really want is I want control of my life. And for some of us, that's a mind-blowing, spiritually altering understanding that you could apply in your life and could be really liberating. Here's the second thing, is to realize that emotions that you feel when waiting aren't unusual and you don't have to live by them. Some of you in your waiting, you feel frustrated. And you think like that's the worst thing in the world. I'm frustrated. And it could be just happy for you to come to the realization, yeah, you're frustrated. You're human and you're not in control. Embrace it. Or a little more bluntly, get over yourself. I mean, some of us think we should never be frustrated. We should never have our desires hindered or thwarted and realizing I'm frustrated and I'm actually using my frustration to make myself bigger than what I really should be. We wait, we wait the right way by rehearsing what we know to be true about God, reminding ourselves, whoa, 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 I don't know this, I don't know that, I don't know that, and I could spend all kinds of energy thinking about that and focusing on that. And yet James says, be patient, brothers, establish your hearts. So the idea in that moment is a stewardship to rehearse, no, who's the Lord, who's the Lord, who's the Lord? And one of the things I found myself in, when I'm in the middle of a waiting season is to remind myself, hey, it's time to be a Christian right now. <laughs> it's time to live like what I believe. I don't know what's going on, but I know who God is. 
It means to focus, as I said last week, on who God is, to seek to worship him through adoration, to seek him in prayer, and then to be moved to trust and to embrace the transformation that comes as you begin to realize, wow, this waiting thing is hard, but I'm seeing God use it in my life, so I'm gonna wait the right way. As Lamentations 3 says, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good. So wait the right way. Here's the second one. And this is what I really hope the Lord will use in your life. Not just wait the right way, but wait right away. Don't just wait the right way. Wait right away. We haven't talked about this a lot. Psalm 106.13 says this, but they soon forgot his works They did not wait for his counsel. Wait right away. The challenge here is that so many of us think of waiting as something that's reactive. But what if we could change that? And what if from a spiritual standpoint, Christian, you could actually start to see waiting as something that you proactively do? Back to the farmer. He knows his role well enough. He knows the dynamics that he tills the soil, he plants the seed, and he plans to wait. He's a farmer. Waiting is a part of the equation. What if you, what if I could actually build waiting into the equation of our lives? What if before we did anything else, we planned how to wait on the Lord because it was that important? This has been so instructive for me because no surprise to many of you, like I'm a person, I don't like to wait. I'm a person of action. I I think strategically, I wanna move. Waiting doesn't come naturally. And yet I have found my soul being blessed to to be reminded, you know, I need to build waiting into the equation. I could respond to that email right now, but why not wait for three hours? and pray and seek the Lord. I could say something about that, but why not wait? I could jump in the middle of that controversy, but why not wait? I could try and figure out what's going on with that situation and make a couple phone calls, but why not wait on the Lord? For example, suppose you learn some information and something that comes to your attention really begins to bother you and you're inclined to act on it, to address the issue and solve the problem quickly because you'd like a solution because if you could solve it, then it would reduce the tension that you feel. But what if you learn the value of slowing down, taking time to wait on the Lord? Imagine if you see an opportunity in front of you and you think, ooh, this would be amazing, and you develop a plan, but in your planning, you actually built waiting on the Lord as a part of your plan. Hey, we're gonna do this and this and this, and then we're gonna stop, and we're gonna pray, and we're gonna wait on the Lord. Imagine if people around you are panicking and they're talking and talking and talking and talking. What would it look like instead of you talking with them or talking with others, if you just went into the privacy of your own little prayer closet and you just talked to the Lord and waited on him? Some of you are really good at what you do. Like you're unbelievably talented, but you know what one of the problems with your talents are? Is you're so good and so smart and so talented 
that you don't need to wait on the Lord anymore. I mean, age and experience gives you this. The issues that I faced as a 25-year-old pastor, I had no idea what to do with that particular thing. And then over time you learn, so when that problem comes up, you don't pray about it, you don't wait on the Lord, you just know what to do. This is what you do. And one of the gifts of COVID, one of the gifts is that God placed us in a hot mess of having no idea what to do about nearly everything. And we had to wait and wait and wait and wait. And I'm just here to tell you, that's actually been helpful. I don't like it, but I see God's grace in it. For those of you who have unbelievable talents and you know how to do things and you're pretty good at them, listen to Isaiah 30 and verse one, woe to those who go down to Egypt and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are so many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, and do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. There's gotta be some of you this morning that you're in the middle of a pretty fast-paced decision-making process right now, and you just realized, oh my goodness, I haven't waited on the Lord. Some of you are so emotionally um, tied up because you want to know what you want to know and it's not crossed your mind. I need to choose to wait on the Lord. One of the reasons that we have a monthly prayer meeting like tonight, one of the reasons that we start the year with a 24-hour prayer time from December 31st to January 1st, one of the reasons that we have a prayer week at the beginning of the year is to build waiting into the equation. And I would suggest to you that most of us need that. Church, waiting always involves time, and we need to wait on the Lord the right way, but we also need to wait for the Lord right away. Right away. Ben Patterson, in his book on waiting, says this, waiting is not just the thing we have to do until we get what we hope for. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what we hope for. And that takes time. Be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Lord Jesus, we are mindful of our inability to know how to navigate anything in our life, the extent to which we would want to know how to do it. So we pray that you would make us a people whose hearts and minds are set upon you and that even today, that our confidence in you would increase so that we would be better able to wait upon you pray, Lord, that those of us who are followers of Jesus would apply what we live and be Christians as we wait. And then, Lord, perhaps there's some today who are not yet followers of Jesus, and you've used a brutal season to awaken their need, to have the most pressing need of their spiritual life met. Oh, Lord, draw them, we pray, to faith in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.